What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast with Joey Maylari. Uh, so this evening, I'll be breaking down what happened in the NCAA baseball tournament, uh, since I really haven't talked too much about uh, what's been going on in that uh, in the last you know three or four episodes I said I was going to never got to it, unfortunately. Um, so I'm going to tell you what happened in the College Baseball World Series uh, with Ole Miss winning uh, the school's first College Baseball World Series title um, in the program history, which is awesome. Um, and then I'll stay on the topic of baseball and move on to the Red Sox and update you on how they've been playing as of late. Um, and then I'll move on uh, to the biggest storylines across baseball, um, including uh, what's been going on with the LA Angels. Uh, I'll be talking about Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, how well they've been playing as of late, but the Angels don't have too much to show for it. Um, and then also um, I'll be talking about uh, what's been going on with the Baltimore Orioles? They've been playing great as of late, uh, turning the season around. Um, even if they're not, you know, a, a playoff contender still, you know, I think they're five games out of 500 right now, or six games out of 500. Uh, they've really turned the season around and shown a lot of progress. So I'm happy for them. Um, and then after that, I'm going to talk about some key headlines uh, within the NBA over the last day or so, um, including this morning, Brian Windhorst uh, put out a report saying that the Kyrie. Irving and Kevin Durant's situation is going to end up with both of those guys leaving Brooklyn. Um, that's what the Brooklyn Nets were expected to to think is going to happen. I, I guess uh, now in the last hour or so, um, there's reports saying that Kyrie Irving is going to opt in to his final year of his contract with the Brooklyn Nets uh, and fulfill his four-year uh, commitment to them. So I guess he's ended up. Uh, I guess he ended up deciding he's going to stay in Brooklyn um, at the end of the day. So uh, we'll see what's going to happen there. But I'm going to discuss the situation, break down uh, some things that were happening um, over the last day or so uh, with the reports going on um, in Brooklyn. But anyways, uh, to start things off with the College Baseball World Series, um, Ole Miss won uh, the school's first College World Series um, ever in the program history yesterday. Um, I'll take a few minutes to break down each round um, and give some insight to what happened over the last month or so ago um, since I really haven't had the opportunity um, to talk about what happened in each round. So I'll, I'll take a minute or two to talk about some key regional matchups, super regional matchups, um, and then talk about what happened in the College Baseball World Series. Um, so first off, uh, to break down a few key regional matchups from the first round, um, Louisville had a huge two-run home run from Cam Masterman in the bottom of the eighth inning um, in an elimination game versus Michigan. Um, I really liked Louisville. Um, I highlighted Cam Masterman and Louisville a ton um, during my college baseball special. Um, the Cardinals actually scored four runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, down 9-7 to make it an 11-9 win over Michigan. Um, they started very hot versus Michigan, scoring seven runs in the first inning. Um, Cam Masterman... One of my favorite players on the Louisville team uh, was 2 of 5 with three RBIs, uh, two runs scored, and a home run, his 19th of the season. Um, and then Levi Usher was 4 for 5 with four RBIs and two runs scored. So Louisville, obviously, um, now with everything being over, it didn't really work out for them uh, in the College Baseball World Series. You know, I thought they had a really good chance of making it there. I think I had them, let's see, in my predictions here. I did have them in the College Baseball World Series. Um, obviously, it didn't work out for them. Uh, but uh, I was rooting for them. Very good team, um, but tough break for them. Tough break for my two underdogs, too, at Dallas Baptist and Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State had three very close games in the Hattiesburg Regional, including a game one uh, where they actually blew the game versus LSU. Uh, Kennesaw State was up 11-4, to heading into the bottom of the eighth. Uh, they had an epic bullpen collapse during 10 runs um, in that half of an inning uh, to lose the game 14-11. to uh, but in that game, a positive was center fielder Josh Hatcher. He was 3-4 for four, uh, with a double and RBI and four runs scored. Um, I talked about him in my college baseball special. Very good player, fun to watch. Then they ended up going on to play the one seed in southern Mississippi. 
um, the number 11 overall seed in the tournament um, and lost that in a very close game once again, 4-3 in extra innings. They actually held a 3-2 lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning, but things just didn't work out. Um, another team I want to talk about is UConn. Uh, UConn won the College Park Regional. Uh, they defeated Maryland two of three times, um, even beat Stanford in Game 1 um, of the Stanford Super Regional. Uh, they actually lost uh, Game 2, unfortunately. And then lost game three as well um, against Stanford. I'm going to talk about that um, in a few minutes. Um, but uh, anyways, just making it to the college baseball um, tournament is, is something that's an honor on its own. So especially winning a regional. So congrats to UConn. Um, I'm going to talk a minute uh, in a minute about them a little more. Uh, but anyways, Vanderbilt, I had them winning uh, the Corvallis Regional. Um, they were right there, honestly. Um, they defeated Oregon State um, in the first game um, of the finals for the Corvallis Regional, won the game 8-1. to But since it's a double elimination tournament, uh, Vanderbilt had to win another game uh, versus Oregon State. Um, they just couldn't get that uh, done for them. Uh, the Commodores ended up losing, um, but uh, they made a great fight like I knew they would. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. Um, another team that I liked was Central Michigan. I figured they weren't going to win. I had Oklahoma winning uh, that regional anyways, which ended up happening. Um, but they fell short, as I said. Um, they fought really hard, though, like I predicted they would. They lost uh, to Florida in Game 1, 7-3. Uh, beat Liberty 3-2 to two in, a, in an elimination game. Um, and then lost a very close one yet again to Florida 6-5. to five. Um, Oklahoma ended up winning uh, that regional in beating Florida in the finals, um, like I predicted. Um, and then the Coral Gables regional. Um, Ole Miss defeated Arizona in the finals um, by a score of... Uh, 22 to six. Um, they were three and zero in the Coral uh, Gables Regional um, and outscored their opponents in that regional, 31 to 11. So it was absolute dominance uh, by the Ole Miss team. We ended up going on to win the College Baseball World Series um, in their 22 to six road of Arizona. Uh, Ole Miss first baseman Tim Elko, who I'm going to talk about a ton, um, was four for four with five RBI, six runs scored, two base on balls, um, and then also was on base six out of six times. Um, with three home runs as well. So he had quite the game for them. Um, and then Rebels second baseman, uh, Peyton Chardonnay, uh was unreal too. Four for six with six RBIs, two runs scored, and a home run as well. So Chardonnay and Tim Elko uh, were both great for that Ole Miss team uh, in their Coral Gables Regional Final. Um, and I'm going to talk about them a ton uh, since they both had two huge tournaments uh, to help Ole Miss win uh, their program's first uh, College Baseball World Series title. Anyways, um, now I'm going to sum up uh, some of the super regional matchups and what went down in those. Um, Oklahoma defeated Virginia Tech, who was number four in the country, um, in the Blacksburg Super Regional. Uh, Oklahoma split the first two um, with, with Virginia Tech and ended up winning game three in a blowout, um, an 11-2 victory for Oklahoma. Uh, Tanner Treadaway, uh, who I highlighted in my college baseball special a month ago now, um, had a monster game against uh, Virginia Tech in the Super Regional, going 4-for-5 with two home runs, three RBIs, three runs scored, um, and two doubles. 12 total bases uh, all in all in those four hits, um, so that's an unreal game for him. He ended up playing a major role in Oklahoma's run to the College Baseball uh, World Series Finals, so I'm going to talk about um, him a ton in this episode as well. Um, and then in Game 3, um, Oklahoma's pitching shut out Virginia Tech, allowing only two hits, one of them being a two-run home run uh, to Hokies third baseman Carson DiMartini. Um, Oklahoma's pitching uh, did strike out 14 uh, Hokies batters, so they were very dominant on the mound besides uh, that one home run allowed. Um, the next Super Regional I want to talk about was Tennessee losing to Notre Dame um, in the Knoxville Super Regional, uh, which was such a surprise to most, especially to me, um, to see the Vols go down, especially so early. Um, I'd say 90% of people probably had Tennessee winning it all 
uh, because how stacked of a team they had um, and how dominant their pitching and offense um, both were all year, but um, things just didn't work out for them. Uh, Notre Dame first baseman Carter Putz um, hit a home run um, in game one. Um, he was two for four with two RBIs, two runs scored um, to start the scoring for Notre Dame. Uh, and then in game three, uh, he went two for four with two runs scored, two RBIs and two doubles. Um, so he was a tough, tough out. Uh, for that Tennessee team, um, and he ended up being a big reason Notre Dame uh, won that regional, uh, super regional matchup. Um, Notre Dame won Game Three by a score of seven to three. They were outscored by the Vols twenty-one to nineteen in the three games combined. Uh, but that's because Tennessee uh, won Game Two in a blowout uh, by the score of uh, twelve to four. Um, but in Game Three, uh, Notre Dame had a huge seventh and eighth inning, scoring three runs in both of them uh, to pull away after trailing three to one after six innings. Freshman left-handed pitcher. Uh, Jack Finley uh, was elite in relief for the Irish, going five innings, uh, pitched out of the pen uh, with only one hit allowed, two base on balls, uh, four strikeouts, and zero runs allowed. Um, then you look at Tennessee. Uh, they, they had a freshman pitcher as well, uh, Chase Burns, who I highlighted before um, as well uh, in my college baseball special. Uh, he had a 3-4 three, three, ERA um, in the regular season. Um, he got hit around, though, by the Irish in this game, uh, went six and two-thirds innings along with five hits, surrendering four runs. Did walk a batter and also um, had five strikeouts. Still low in his season ERA, though, to 291 in the NCAA tournament. So uh, a great year for him, especially considering he's only a freshman. Um, Jordan Beck and Drew Gilbert, um, who I talked about in my college baseball special, uh, are projected first-round uh, picks as outfielders um, on that Tennessee team. Uh, but they struggled heavily in Game 3 versus Notre Dame. Uh, Gilbert was 0-4, and then Beck was 0-1 uh, with a strikeout and two walks. So uh, not the best game for those two guys. Um, anyway, so UConn, like I said, I'll talk about them. Uh, they faced off with Stanford in the Stan uh, in the Stanford Super Regional. Um, Stanford um, won it all actually in three games. Um, it was you know one to one after two, and then uh, Stanford ended up winning in game three. Um, UConn took game one, uh, nearly a football score, thirteen to twelve. They won. Uh, UConn scored eight runs in the second inning of game one. Uh, they were up nine to four after two innings. They were up 13-6 to six going to the bottom of the ninth. They nearly choked the game away. Uh, they end up surrendering six runs in the bottom of the ninth, but held on to win 13-12. to 12. Um, There were 31 combined hits between the two teams, uh, so there was a lot of offense in this game, as you could tell by the score, 13-12. to 12. Um, Stanford center fielder uh, Brock Jones uh, hit three home runs in the game, going three for five with five runs batted in, three runs scored. Um, his other two at-bats are strikeouts, uh, but still an unreal game for him, so he's either a strikeout or a home run in this game, uh, which is nuts. Um, then Stanford third baseman uh, Drew Bowser went two for five with two home runs, three RBIs, and two runs scored. Um, then you look at Brady Montgomery, who I highlighted um, in my college baseball special as well. He hit home run also for the Vols. Um, he's an outfielder and, and a right-handed pitcher, um, so I talked about him uh, since it's interesting. He's a two-way player. Um, and then you look at UConn. Um, they hit two home runs of their own. Even though it didn't work out for UConn, I think it's very cool to see them uh, play on the biggest stage um, in college baseball since I saw them play at Northeastern this year at Freeman Diamond. Um, and then Northeastern actually ended up beating them as well um, in early May at UConn. So it's cool to see them play in person and then obviously see them play on TV on bat in battle against Stanford. Um, so in game three, it was a winner-take-all. And UConn scored three runs in the first inning. Stanford scored two. Um, Stanford stud catcher Cody Huff, who I talked about um, as well before, hit his 14th home run of the year. He went three for four in the game with five RBIs. Um, the Tommy Troy of Stanford uh, was four for five with an RBI and two runs scored. Um, UConn did allow um, a six-run fourth inning uh, for Stanford, and that made it too much for them to come back from. Um, UConn hit around Stanford starter uh, Joey Dixon the first inning. He didn't even actually record an out uh, before being taken out of the game. 
Uh, ben Huber was one for two with three RBIs and two walks um, for the Huskies. Um, quite the year for them. Um, and even though they end up losing, they gave Stanford um, a ton of problems and a run for their money. And, and Stanford's the number two overall seed, um, best team you know, remaining after the Vols went down. So uh, great run for them. Uh, very impressed uh, with how much uh, trouble they gave uh, that Stanford team. So congrats to UConn, a great season. Um, and then Texas A&M. They ended up defeating Louisville in the College Station Super Regional, uh, winning both games by only one run. Um, and as I talked about before, I was a Louisville baseball fan um, going into this tournament. I thought they had a really good chance of winning it, uh, but they ended up losing five to four and four to three um, in both of their games against Texas A&M. Uh, in game one, uh, it was a tough one, uh, losing five to four. And then in game two, they actually had a lead. Uh, They're up three to two after five innings um, in an elimination game, uh, and they ended up. Uh, giving up a run in both the 6th and 7th innings to Texas A&M. And then Texas A&M's bullpen really closed the door on Louisville. Um, The bullpen combined for 4.1 innings pitched, um, allowing five hits but no runs, only one walk and five strikeouts. So uh, even though Louisville's offense... Uh, was honestly great for the whole game, like hits-wise. They, they out-hit Texas A&M 13-5. They still lost the game, and, and that's just how baseball goes sometimes. You lose the game, even though you can out-hit a team 13-5. to That's just how the ball rolls, and if you're getting hits in clutch situations, it's all situational hitting at the end of the day. So now that takes me to the last Super Regional matchup uh, that I'm going to talk about, and that's Southern Miss and Ole Miss um, in the Hattiesburg Super Regional. Um, Ole Miss defeated them in both games by a combined score of 15 to nothing. Um, Ole Miss won a quite the run on the NCAA tournament. I don't think anyone's surprised um, with them defeating uh, Miami in the Coral Gables Regional. Um, and then you look at it, um, they also defeat um, Southern Miss, another one seed uh, in the uh, Southern Miss um, Regional hosted um, in Hattiesburg. Um, Ole Miss uh, had quite um, a sixth inning in game one uh, versus Southern Miss, scoring seven runs. Uh, Tim Elko was two for five with three RBIs, a run scored, and a double. Um, then you look at Dylan DeLucia, who I'm going to talk about a few times uh, in this episode since he's pitched so well for this Ole Miss team uh, the whole year. Um, he shut down Southern Miss, um, who was number 11 overall in the country, a one seed, obviously. Um, he went five and two-thirds innings. Um, allowing no runs um, on four hits, two strike, two walks, and nine strikeouts. Um, then you look at Jack Doherty, who came um, out of the pen uh, for 3.1 innings um, in relief of Delusia, and he allowed no hits, no walks, no runs, um, and had a strikeout. So 3.1 innings pitch, and he didn't even allow um, a base runner. So it just shows how much that Ole Miss team was locked in. Um, then you look at Southern Missouri's best player, um, Dustin Dickerson. He was only one for four, um, and he was – only one of the four hits um, Southern Miss had. So their offense was really shut down. Um, then you look at game two. For Ole Miss, Justin Bench was three for five with an RBI and a run scored. Um, and once again, the story of this game was Ole Miss's pitching. Hunter Elliott was on the mound uh, in this game for the Rebels, and he was absolutely filthy shutting down the Southern Miss uh, Golden Eagles offense. He went seven in the third innings on the mound, allowing just three hits, striking out ten batters, allowing no runs, and allowing no walks as well. So uh, the most impressive part of his stat line, I would say, is the 10 strikeouts um, and no runs allowed, um, and also no walks, too. He was very accurate. Um, the Josh Mallets came in uh, in relief of Elliott, um, and he shut the door on Southern Miss. Uh, he went one point, uh, one and two-thirds innings, uh, allowing no runs, no hits, walking one batter and striking out one. Um, and Southern Miss only had four base runners the whole game, so it just shows how much Ole Miss's pitching staff uh, was locked in uh, for the entirety of the NCAA tournament. Um Anyways, this brings me to the College uh, World Series. Um, Texas A&M 
Texas, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma were in bracket one. Um, Oklahoma ended up winning that. Um, and then in, in bracket two, um, it was Stanford, Auburn, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. Um, I actually had three or four of those in the College World Series. So to break down um, what happened in bracket one, um, anyways, what I, I should actually preface, uh, the College World Series is usually eight teams, uh, two brackets, four and four, um, and then they play each other, whoever wins bracket one plays bracket two in the finals, I'm um, the best two of three, um, it's double elimination as well, um, so you have to lose twice. I just want to preface with that for people that um, don't know too much about the College World Series. Um, anyways, in bracket one, Oklahoma was unreal, um, defeating Texas A&M, who was the number five overall team in the country. Um, then they also um, took on Notre Dame, who just beat Tennessee um, You know, in the previous round, um, beat them, and then beat Texas A&M again. Um, so credit to Oklahoma, even though they ended up losing in the finals, uh, they went on a run. Um, in game one versus Texas A&M, um, in that first side of the bracket, um, Oklahoma won 13-8. Uh, to eight. Um, They scored seven runs in the second inning. Uh, they were up 8-3 to three after two innings. Um, Texas A&M starter Nathaniel Detmer uh, was lit up, only went one and two-thirds innings, uh, giving up seven runs on four hits, uh, three walks, and a strikeout. On the mound for Oklahoma was Jake Bennett. Uh, he was a little bit better on the mound. He went six innings, um, allowing four runs on five hits, no walks, and three strikeouts. Uh, the main storyline of that game was Oklahoma stud center fielder Tanner Treadaway. He was three for six in the game with two runs scored in an RBI. Um, and then Jimmy Crooks, um, the Oklahoma catcher, uh, hit a three-run home run his eighth of the season. He was one for four in that game uh, with three RBIs. Um, Texas A&M didn't get much going on uh, on offense uh, besides uh, – the center fielder, um, Jordan Thompson, three-run home run. Uh, that was really all they had. Um, and then in game two, um, Texas A&M, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma, uh, went out to face Notre Dame. Uh, they ended up winning that 6-2. to two. Uh, Peyton Graham and Tanner Treadaway uh, were dominant again uh, for that Oklahoma offense. Uh, Graham was 4-4 four for four with a run scored um, and a walk as well, so he was 5-5 five for five on base. Um, then Treadaway was 3-4 for four with two RBIs and two runs scored. Um, and then Sunis Stada, who I want to talk about a little, uh, which I'm going to talk about a few times because uh, he pitched a good amount uh, for Oklahoma in this tournament. Uh, he went six innings, allowing only two runs, uh, walking one while striking out 11 guys. Uh, so he had a dominant performance. Um, Notre Dame first baseman Carter Putz, who I talked about for him playing well um, against Tennessee. Um, he went four for four. So even though it didn't end up working out for Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame fans can't be uh, upset with him. Uh, he also scored a run as well, so he had a tremendous game. Uh, and then in game three uh, that Oklahoma played uh, in bracket one, they ended up scoring three runs in the first inning um, versus Texas A&M. Uh, soon as catcher Jimmy Crooks um, had another huge hit. Um, he had a huge home run, uh, finished the game two for four with three RBIs. Um, so another three-run home run for him. Uh, this time it was in the first inning. Um, and then Peyton Graham, uh, who I mentioned as well, uh, he went one for three with two runs scored and a double. Um, and then on the mound for the Sooners uh, was David Sandlin, who was dominant. Um, he went seven innings, allowing only one run and five hits, uh, one walk and 12 strikeouts. Then you look at Texas A&M. Uh, their freshman lefty pitcher, uh, Ryan Preger, um, went, two only, went only two and a third innings, um, allowing four hits, three runs, uh, walking one batter and striking out three. Um, so even though it didn't end up working out to Texas A&M, they had a great run um, and a great season, uh, being the number five overall seed in the tournament as well. Um, it just shows how good they were. And their backs were against the wall once. Uh, they were in an in elimination game against Texas, uh, defeated them. Uh, so I guess beating them, uh, you know, an in-state team, especially a powerhouse like Texas, um, is always good. Um, so even though things didn't work out, uh, they can't be uh, too too disappointed with how well they played. Um, anyways, in bracket two, as I said before, Stanford, Auburn, Arkansas, Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss won um, this side of the bracket. 
Um, Ole Miss played Auburn um, in their first game. Uh, Ole Miss won 5-1. to one. Uh, Ole Miss started hot. Um, with two runs in the first inning. Uh, left fielder Kevin Graham was 3-for-5 with a home run, an RBI, two runs scored, um, and a double. Um, Rebel starting pitcher Dylan DeLucia, who we talked about before, uh, he went 72 thirds innings, only one run and four hits and striking out 10, uh, so his dominance continued. Um, Ole Miss's pitching as a whole only held uh, Auburn to four hits, uh, so Auburn just couldn't get things going. Um, then you look at Auburn's starting pitcher Joseph Gonzalez, he was hit around by the Rebels, um, along with four runs um, in five innings pitched, seven hits, um, with seven strikeouts, too. So uh, he didn't have too bad of a game strikeouts-wise. Um, in the next game, Ole Miss defeated Arkansas 13-5. Hunter Elliott got the start for Ole Miss, went six in the third innings, allowing three runs, uh, just one earned, uh, while walking two batters and striking out four. Uh, Ole Miss scored two runs, uh, actually, in the first inning. And what was prevalent from the whole tournament as a whole was that Ole Miss always gets out to a hot start. They typically always score uh, in the first inning. Um, and getting out to a hot start is the way to get things going, um, especially with how good of a run they had. Uh, with their offense scoring so many runs early in the game, I mean, you could put teams away. Um, anyways, Ole Miss' center fielder, uh, Justin Bench, was 4 of 6 um, in this game with four runs, scored a double and two RBIs. Um, and then first baseman Tim Elko um, hit his 23rd home run of the season. Uh for Arkansas, uh, their starting pitcher, Zach Morris, only lasted two-thirds of an inning, uh, only could get two outs, um, allowing two hits and also walking two batters, um, so not the best day for him. Uh, but Arkansas was a tough out, even though, obviously, uh, they end up losing. Uh, they were very tough out on this side of the College World Series bracket. In the first game uh, of the College World Series, for Arkansas, uh, they defeated Stanford, uh, who was number two overall seed um, in the whole tournament. Um, it was a one-to-one -one game after four innings. Um, and then uh, they ended up outscoring Stanford 16 to one in the last five innings of that game, and won the game 17 to two. They all hit Stanford 21 to seven. Um, so their offense was very hot. Um, every one of that Arkansas starting lineup had at least two hits in that game, um, which is very impressive. Um, Razorbacks third baseman Caden Wallace was three for six uh, with the home run, three RBIs, and two runs scored. Um, then Connor Nolan, who I'm going to talk about um, in, in a second as well, um, was superb on the mound for Arkansas with 72 thirds innings allowing only two runs on six hits, walking one, and striking out one. So after losing this game, Stanford ended up going on to face Auburn and lost in the elimination game. So they were out without winning even a game in the College World Series. Um, anyways, so Arkansas ended up facing Ole Miss again. Um, Ole Miss lost 3-2, to two, uh, but since it was double elimination, as I said, uh, Ole Miss defeated Arkansas in the final game um, of bracket two. Uh, they won that game 2 to nothing uh, In game two versus Arkansas, uh, when Ole Miss lost 3-2, uh, to two, uh, Ole Miss's offense was silenced, um, only had five hits, uh, and struck out 13 times. So uh, credit to Arkansas on the mound. Uh, Arkansas lefty uh, Hagan Smith uh, surrendered only uh, one run through five innings pitched. He did walk four bats, but struck out eight. Um, he was a big reason Arkansas won that game. And then you look at in-game three, their third matchup. Uh, Ole Miss bounced back and defeated Arkansas 2 to nothing. Uh, very good college baseball game, fun one to watch. Uh, Dylan DeLucia was stellar on the mound for Ole Miss uh, with the season on the line. He went the distance, all nine innings, nine innings on the mound, allowing just four hits, walking none, striking out seven, allowing no runs, and also throwing 113 pitches after just pitching in the last game as well, or a game or two before that. Um, and then Connor Noland uh, was back on the mound for Arkansas again as well. Uh, he pitched very well too. Went eight innings, um, allowing just two runs on seven hits, striking out seven and walking none. Um, Arkansas only had four hits as a team, so Ole Miss's uh, pitching staff really did calm down uh, that offense. 
And then Ole Miss uh, star Kevin Graham was two for four with an RBI double, um, a huge RBI uh, double that ended up helping them win that game. Uh, anyways, so in the finals, uh, ended up being Oklahoma versus Ole Miss. Um, in game one, Ole Miss dominated and winning by a score of 10-3. to three. Uh, Jake uh, Bennett was on the mound for Oklahoma. He went six in the third innings, allowing only three runs uh, and seven hits, walking none and striking out 10. On the other side for Ole Miss was Jake Doherty on the mound. Uh, he gave up two runs um, in five innings of work, uh, striking out six and only walking one. Uh, Ole Miss first baseman Tim Elko uh, was the star of the game. Uh, for the Rebels, uh, he was 4-for-5 at the plate uh, with three runs scored, a home run, and an RBI. Um, and then second baseman uh, Peyton Chardonnay uh, was 3-for-5 uh, with an RBI as well. Things really got going for Ole Miss in the first inning. As I said, they get hot. Uh, they score two runs in the first inning. They always start hot. Um, and then one in the second and one in the third. It didn't look back. Um, actually, had 16 hits in the game. Uh, so it uh, just shows how much their offense Really gets going early in games and then just continues uh, through on uh, the end of the game. Uh, and then you look at game two. Uh, Ole Miss trailed uh, two to one after seven innings, but scored three runs in the bottom of the eighth uh, to take the lead uh, four to two. Um, and then they closed it out in the ninth inning. Uh, Kate Horton was excellent on the mound for Oklahoma despite losing uh, the game. He went seven in the third innings, um, allowing two runs while striking out 13 batters. Uh, the most impressive part of his stat line is 13 strikeouts um, with no walks, too. I guess that's even more impressive, 13 strikeouts to no walks um, and allowing four hits. So he did allow two runs, struck out 13, no walks, four hits allowed. Um, and in seven and third innings, he had 107 pitches. Um, Jacob Gonzalez uh, hit a huge uh, solo home run in the sixth to give Ole Miss a one nothing lead. Um, the Ole Miss shortstop was 3-4 in the game with two RBIs um, and two runs scored. On the mound for this game uh, was Hunter Elliott for Ole Miss. Uh, he went six and two-thirds innings on the bump, uh, allowing three hits, two runs, walking only two, and striking out six. Uh, he had a 2-7 ERA on the season, which is elite. Um, then Ole Miss's bullpen really closed the door. Uh, they went two and a third innings um, of work, walking two batters, allowing no hits, no runs, and striking out five. So they struck out five of seven batters faced, uh, which really uh, closed the door and shut things down uh, for that team. Overall, Ole Miss uh, finished 10-1 in the NCAA tournament. Uh, their only loss came to Arkansas. Um, they ended up beating Arkansas, as I said, um, that elimination game um, of that bracket two final uh, matchup. It was a really fun tournament to watch um, and follow along with. Uh, obviously, I had to get to highlight um, things as things went along, you know, round by round. But I'm happy I could give you guys a quick summary now. And I hope you enjoyed uh, following along and uh, hearing about Ole Miss's uh, historic run. Uh, now I'm going to stay on the topic of baseball um, and talk about the Red Sox. Uh, Chris Sale just pitched an inning um, in a Florida Complex uh, league game last week. Um, he struck out Tibba Bay Rays, stud shortstop, Juan DeFranco. Uh, he went one inning, uh, striking out one, did allow a run, um, and walked a guy. The guy ended up standing second base and then uh, ended up scoring uh, that following at bat. Um, and then he pitched again um, a couple days ago in the FCL once again. Uh, he surrendered three hits, uh, no walks. Uh, in two and two-thirds innings of work, um, two and two-thirds scoreless innings, uh, while also striking out six. Um, his fastball hit 97 miles per hour, so I think he's going to be a huge addition uh, to the Sox team since he only really hit 90-92 uh, last year, maybe, um, in his return uh, back uh, from the Tommy John surgery. Now he's at 97, so uh, he's in uh, A1 shape right now, and the Red Sox really need that. And then also factor in the Sox are going to get back James Paxton, too, uh, from his injury. Uh, so both of those guys could be huge additions to the pitching staff. Um, they could potentially move Garrett Whitlock back to the bullpen uh, as closer and maybe have Hauk as a setup guy uh, or in the rotation uh, since he's been acting as a closer um, 
in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Whitlock as a reliever this year, which I'm going to break down him as a reliever versus him as a starter. I crunched a few of these stats together online. Um, Whitlock as a reliever this year, 92 thirds innings pitched, allowing only one run. On four hits, striking out 11 and walking two. He had a .93 ERA with a 121 opponent batting average and has thrown 71% strikes uh, when playing as a reliever. Um, then you look at Whitlock as a starter. When Whitlock pitches as a starter, 39 innings of work uh, with a 4.15 ERA compared to a .93 ERA as a reliever. Um, opponents have a 261 batting average against him as a starter versus a 121 batting average when he's relieving. Uh, he's allowed 18 runs. Uh, on 40 hits with 38 strikeouts and 9 walks. Uh, so he's allowed 40 hits and 39 innings pitched compared to 4 hits allowed and 9.2 innings pitched when he's relieving. Um, he's thrown 66% strikes as a starting pitcher. Um, but I think if you look at it, I think he's more valuable on this team as a reliever and they need him as a closer. Um, the Sox right now um, are tied for third in the MLB in blown saves with 14. So I think Whitlock is a lot more valuable um, as the closer. Um, and who knows, maybe he'll be back to that um, once Chris Sale and James Paxton are back in the rotation. And once Whitlock's healthy as well since he's been hurt. Um, and although Houck has been elite um, as of late out of the bullpen, serving as a closer for the last few weeks, um, I do think Whitlock uh, would be better as the ninth inning guy. And maybe Houck goes back to the rotation or is you know, a setup guy in the eighth inning. Um, but a few things I want to highlight. Uh, one thing I found uh, when looking at all these stats uh, was that Houck, in his last 13 appearances out of the bullpen, he has a .92 ERA and 19.2 innings pitched, uh, with 23 strikeouts in those 19 two-thirds innings, uh, allowing 18 hits, four walks, and only allowing two runs, two runs in those 19.2 innings pitched. Um, with a 64% strike rate. Uh, so he's been pitching very well um, in his last 13 games. He's 2-0 over that stretch with six saves and a hold. Um, so he's filling in very well um, in Whitlock's absence uh, in the bullpen since Whitlock you know, became a starter and now Whitlock's also hurt. So uh, Houck has turned in uh, to a great closer um, in his last 13 games, as I said, with a .92 ERA. So under one ERA um, with only four walks and 19.2 innings, uh, 23 strikeouts, and has only allowed uh, two runs. So uh, Houck and pitching very well. He's one of my favorite players on the Red Sox, so I'm very happy to see that. Um, one last update with Chris Sale. Uh, he will be starting at the end of this week um, in AA for the Portland uh, Sea Dogs, so I'll update you guys on how that uh, relief appearance goes. Uh, but hopefully he's back the same by around July 15th, so a couple weeks and or two and a half weeks, uh, Chris Sale should be back um, in a Red Sox uniform. Anyways, uh, Gita Downs, uh, Made his MLB debut last week um, as a third baseman when Rafael Devis got the night off. Uh, he played second base and shortstop in the minors uh, for the most part. He's only played second and shortstop his whole life. He's only last played third base in high school. Uh, but he made his MLB debut at third base. Um, and, and, and one thing about Downs is I think his glove is ready uh, for the MLB. Um, that's what a lot of scouts um, and people and analysts uh, that watch the game and watch the minor league games heavily say. Um, just his bat isn't ready for the major leagues yet. Um, in two seasons with the Worcester Red Sox, um, the Woo Sox in AAA, um, he's hitting 187. Uh, his power numbers are there, though. He has 11 home runs in 56 games for the Woo Sox this year. Um, and in 99 games last year at 14 home runs. Uh, he also has 12 stolen bases, so he has speed. Um, can definitely add versatility in the playoffs uh, with the September call-ups. I'm sure uh, he could be a guy off the bench stealing uh, bases um, in key situations. You look at Dave Robbins in 2004, uh, he was a guy that came off the bench, obviously, and had a huge total base. I ended up turning that 2004 season around uh, when he ended up staying on second base and ended up scoring. Uh, and then you look at the Red Sox in 2013, Quinton Berry uh, stole a couple bases for the Red Sox in key situations. So I think Downs will be back up as a Red Sox um, at some point. 
Uh, one thing I want to highlight is the Yellow City Connect jerseys. Uh, when wearing them this season, the Red Sox are 11 and 2, uh, or 5 and 0 this season, excuse me, but 11 and 2 dating back uh, to last season. So hopefully they wear those a little more uh, since we're winning games. 11 and 2 record uh, since wearing those dating back to last season, uh, which I found to be a very interesting statistic. Next, I want to talk about Rob Breff Snyder in 10 games this year, um, which he's been really, you know, not used too much. I'd use him a lot more. I think he should be in the lineup every day with how well he's been playing. Uh, in 10 games of work this year, he's hitting 414 with a 1141 uh, OPS. Um, he's hit a home run, also six RBIs, and has only struck out four times in 35 plate appearances. Um, he gets on base a ton and makes contact. And I think he should get more playing time. I know Jaron Durant, obviously, um, probably the leadoff guy, even when Kike Hernandez comes back, uh, since he's been playing so well. Uh, but I think Ref Snyder should, should have an everyday spot in this lineup with how well uh, he's been hitting the ball. Maybe he's in right field. I love Jackie Bradley Jr., but Jackie Bradley hasn't been hitting well. He's, you know, an 0 for 17 streak um, over his last 17 at bats or an 0 for 18 streak. Uh, so I think Ref Snyder um, is more valuable out there in right field. Uh, in June, the Red Sox hold an 18-4 record uh, with an 818 uh, win percentage. Uh, they've scored 108 runs in June and have only allowed 64. Uh, so that's a great differential there, a 44-run differential. Um, and then you look at the Red Sox, now we're second uh, in the A at least for the first time since April 18th. Uh, since uh, May 18th, the Red Sox are 27-9. Um, and since Alex Cora shaved his beard, uh, which was in May, the Red Sox hold a 32-12 and record. Uh, so they've been a dominant baseball team uh, since he shaved his beard and changed the luck um, of this baseball club. Uh, Cora recently said uh, that he sees Trevor Story as the best second baseman in baseball, which I think is a very good second baseman. Um, he's obviously getting paid a ton uh, you know, to play second base, $20 million a year. Um, but if you look at his numbers on all that great. I do love Story. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he's hit 227 on the year with 11 home runs, 50 RBIs. Uh, so his power numbers and his uh, runs batted in are there you know, very well. Uh, he's played very well uh, in those two categories. He's got 10 stolen bases and 10 attempts, so he's 10 to 10. Uh, Stanley with a 719 OPS, scored 40 runs, has a 98 um, OPS plus. But I think the best second baseman in baseball, if you ask me, it's Jazz Chisholm of the Miami Marlins. I think he's the best second baseman in the game by far. He definitely is the most swag by far. I don't think that's a their competition. I don't know any other player that carries themselves the way Jazz does. Uh, but Jazz on the years hit 255, uh, so he's a better average uh, than Trevor Story. He has 14 home runs, 11 stolen bases, 45 RBIs, 39 runs scored with an 864 OPS, uh, which is over 150 uh, more uh, OPS points almost uh, than, than than Trevor Story with 140 OPS plus. Um, he also, if you look at a lot of statistics, I, I crunched a lot of these numbers uh, and compared them. Uh, among second basemen in baseball, um, he's number two uh, with 15.14 uh, at-bats per home run. Uh He's got 14 home runs, which is tied for first among second basemen with Jose Altuve. He's second uh, in RBIs among second basemen in baseball, just behind Trevor Story. Um, he's number three in OPS um, among second basemen with an 864 OPS. He's number one in slugging percentage among second base with a 538 slugging percentage. Um, and then he's tied uh, for second um, in the MLB as a whole, uh, not just corresponding to what position, uh, with four triples. So, uh, very good player. Um, he's also fourth um, in all of Major League Baseball, five home runs when he's down on the count. Um, so, you should see his bat speed, even when he's down on the count. Let's say a 1 2 count. People try to get a curveball by him, people try to get fastballs by him. It just doesn't work sometimes. It's nuts how fast his bat speed is. And he can reach up in the upper right-hand part of the zone since he's a lefty. He can turn on fastballs in the upper right uh, quadrant of the strike zone. Uh, as I, as you've seen, uh, he had a huge home run last year against uh, Jacob DeGrom. That was 100 miles an hour in the right uh, part of the strike zone, top right. And he turned on it somehow uh, and pulled it to right field, which is nuts. Um, 
Anyway, speaking of hot hitters, um, the Red Sox have three of them right now. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogats, and J.D. Martinez. Um, they're all in the top five of batting average in the MLB. They're three, four, five, actually, respectively. Um, the Red Sox are number one um, in team batting average in baseball with a 261 um, batting average. Uh, they're hitting 309, um, which is uh, second in Major League Baseball on balls in play. Um, so if they make contact, the Red Sox typically um, are getting on base. Um, and then following a loss this season, uh, the Red Sox are 20 and 11 uh, with a 2.99 ERA. So the pitch has been responding very well uh, following a loss. Um, the Sox have the best uh, ERA in baseball over the last 30 games with a 2.83 team ERA. Um, they have the number one ERA in June uh, with a 2.37 ERA. And one interesting statistic that I found uh, when researching was that the Padres spent 82 million on their pitching staff this year. The Phillies spent 80 million on the pitching staff this year, and the Yankees and Dodgers uh, spent 70 million apiece. The Red Sox only spent 28 million on their pitching staff, which is the 10th lowest money um, spent on a pitching staff in the MLB this season. And they have the best ERA in baseball over the last 30 games, the best ERA in baseball in June. Um, and I've been critical of Hyam Bloom, but he's found some great gems in Michael Walker, who's 6-1 on the season with a 2-3-4 ERA. Nick Pavetta, who's 8-5 on the season with a 3-2-5 ERA. And then John Schreiber, who's an elite out of the bullpen uh, with an under-1 ERA. Pavetta has been unreal as of late. Uh, with Avaldi and Sale hurt, um, and Whitlock hurt as well, uh, we needed Pavetta to step up, and he's been playing so well. Um, in Pavetta's last 10 starts, he's 8-1 and one, um, in 68 innings of work. Uh, he has 65 strikeouts uh, with 16 walks, 14 runs allowed, 44 hits, with a 185 ERA and a 180 on base, uh, excuse me, an opponent batting average. Uh, so... He's been pitching very well. Uh, he's been playing great. That's elite numbers right there over his last 10 games. As I said, 8-1 record uh, with a 1.85 ERA. Uh, so if you look at them, the Red Sox only spent $28 million on their pitching staff in the MLB this year, which is 10th lowest in the major leagues. And they have the best ERA in the last 30 games, the best ERA in June. I'm very impressed with High and Bloom's work uh, in finding some of those gems. I still think the Red Sox need one or two bullpen pieces, uh, but I'm not going to criticize them uh, for making deals. You know, with Michael Walker, Nick Pavetta, uh, John Schreiber, just to name a few. Uh, all of those have worked out uh, very well. So can't be mad at him there, um, but I do think they need one more guy in the bullpen, uh, one more steady guy uh, since, you know, late games, late in the games have blown 14 uh, saves this year. So we need uh, one more piece uh, back there that we can feel confident in. Another positive thing uh, with the Red Sox is Alex Verdugo has been back to himself. Um, he has his batting average back up to 251 on the year. Um, in June, in June uh, he's hitting 304 with an 816 OPS, two home runs uh, with 15 RBIs, 15 runs scored. Uh, he has six doubles in 20 games, uh, six RBIs in his last six games, and he's hitting 348 over that stretch. He's 24 of 79 over his last 20 games, uh, which is more than a hit per game on average. So uh, he's looking uh, like he's back to himself, hitting three or four um, in his last 20 games. The Red Sox really need that. Uh, and the Sox are the best record in baseball um, in their last 10 games, eight and two. Uh, the Sox are actually tied with the Braves for the best record in baseball um, over the last 20 games, 16 to four. Uh, they both are a piece. Um, and now the Red Sox will play a three-game series in Toronto and will not have Tanner Houck um, and Jaron Duran uh, due to both of them not being vaccinated. Um, all visiting players and guests in general um, need the vaccine uh, to enter Canada, and neither one of those players have them. So that's a big loss uh, for the Red Sox, considering Houck's been so great um, out of the pen, and Jaron Duran's been elite um, at the leadoff spot um, over the last 10 games or so. 
Uh, this past weekend, uh, the Sox swept the Cleveland Guardians, who were number one in the AL Central, um, heading into the uh, weekend series on Friday. Um, the Sox have won seven straight series now and have the third, rest, uh, third best record in the American League uh, behind the New York Yankees and Houston Astros. Um, and speaking of those two teams, uh, the Yankees were no hit on Saturday uh, by Houston. Uh, they were getting no hit again yesterday through six innings, uh, but of course they came back um, to win the game in, in a dramatic uh, walk-off fashion with an Aaron Judge uh, walk-off home run. Um, but Houston's uh, three-pitcher combined no-hitter on Saturday was the third uh, no-hitter of the MLB season. Um, the Yankees have only been shut out five times this year, three times in April. Um, their last time before um, Saturday uh, was May 22nd. Um, and just being shut out uh, is, is impressive for any pitcher to shut out the Yankees, but no hitting them um, is even crazier. Uh, and the Yankees were the fastest team out of 50 wins in baseball uh, since 2001, uh, so they've been very hot all year. Um, so shutting out the Yankees' offense is impressive um, on its own, but no hitting them is even more impressive. Uh, the Orioles, speaking of hot, uh, the Orioles are getting very hot um, as of late. They no longer a doormat uh, to, to MLB teams. Uh, this team's on the rise, and I couldn't be happier to see it. They're 34 um, and 40 on the year. They took three or four from the Chicago White Sox. They're seven and three in their last 10 games. Uh, they have the third best record in baseball um, over their last 10. Uh, they've scored the 11th most runs in Major League Baseball over the last 15 games with 66 runs scored. Um, they have a 3-5 team, team ERA in the last 15 games, which is good for ninth uh, in the major leagues. Uh, they're 10th uh, with 50 runs allowed over the last 15 games. Um, they're tied for 13th uh, in best record of baseball um, in the last 30 games, 16-14 over the last 30. Uh, they're tied for 6th best uh, record of baseball over the last 20 games, 12-8, and eight, uh, which is great for a team with the lowest payroll in the major leagues. Uh, they only have a $45.5 million payroll. They have the same record over the last 20 games as the Mets um, in one game better than the Dodgers. Uh, and for comparison, the league average payroll is $147.5 million. That's over $100 more million than the Baltimore Orioles have uh, to spend this season. The Dodgers' payroll is currently at $261 million. The Mets are at $260 million. Uh, and the Orioles have the same amount of wins over the last, uh, 30, uh, over the last 20 games as the Mets and have one more win over the last 20 games in the Dodgers. So that's very impressive. Um, Cedric Mullins has been playing great um, as of late. He's 299. Uh, he has a 299 batting average over his last 16 games. Uh, he's up to 251 on the year. Uh, he's typically around a 300 batting average like Alex Verdugo. Uh, they both had slow starts to the, to the year. Both are getting very hot now, so I'm happy to see that. Um, Cedric Mullins only has six home runs uh, so far this season, uh, but the 2021 All-Star and Silver Slugger had 30 last season um, and had a 291 batting average, stole 30 bases as well um, in 2021. I'm sure he's going to get hot um, and, and hit more home runs uh, you know, later on in the season. Uh, he was part of the exclusive 30-30. 30 home runs, 30 stolen base club. Uh, the last two to do it uh, were Christian Yelich and, and Ronald Acuna Jr. in 2019. So uh, very impressive uh, season of him last year. I'm sure he's going to uh, continue to rise this season uh, with him getting hot and Alex Verdugo getting hot. Uh, one ridiculous stat I came across um, for the Yankees heading into yesterday's game um, against Houston uh, was that they have the number one uh, uh, at-bats to home run ratio in the MLB, 20.23 at bats per home run, which is nuts. Um, the Russell first in the major leagues with 118 home runs, so their power has just been ridiculous. Now I'm going to transition to the LA Angels. Um, heading into yesterday's game against Seattle, uh, the LA Angels are not, seven and nine in their last 16 games since snapping their 14 game losing streak. Um, in Shohei Otani's last 19 games, 
Uh, he has a 319 batting average with five home runs, 15 RBIs, 11 runs scored with a 1004 OPS. Um, over that stretch, though, the Angels are only 7-12. and 12. So even though he's hitting, you know, fantastic, and he's playing, you know, the best baseball he's played um, all season, they're only 7-12, and 12, so not much to show for record-wise. Um, last Tuesday, uh, Otani was 3-4 for four, uh, with two two-run home runs, um, including one in the bottom of the ninth inning uh, when the Angels were down three runs with one out and two guys on base, tied the game with one swing and a bat. He finished that game with eight RBIs. Uh, the Angels ended up still losing that game 12-11 to 11, uh, in extra innings. Uh, to the Kansas City Royals. And then last Wednesday, he was superb on the mound versus the Kansas City Royals. Uh, he went eight innings scores with 13 strikeouts, uh, two hits, uh, did walk one batter, allowing no runs. Uh, he has a 2-9 ERA on the year. He's a 6-4 record on the mound with a 2-9 ERA, so uh, he's pitching very well, especially as of late. As I said, he went eight innings scores last Wednesday with 13 strikeouts, allowing no runs and only walking one batter and allowing just two hits. And then you look at last Tuesday, the day before that, he was 3-4 for four with two two-run home runs and eight RBIs. It's absolutely nuts uh, what he can do. And he's the biggest bargain in all of baseball. He's only making $5.5 million this year. Um, he is arbitration eligible um, this year for next season, uh, for the 2023 season. Um, he's the earliest uh, he can be a free agent um, is after next season in 2024. So he's still going to be an L.A. Angel, I'd imagine, in 2023. But in 2024, he will be a free agent. Um, the rumors right now are that he's going to get uh, around a four-year, $200 million contract um, with a $50 million uh, per year average, which I think he deserves all of it, uh, especially considering he can go from hitting two two-run home runs with eight RBIs and then the next day go eight innings scores along with just two hits with 13 strikeouts. Uh, he's absolutely ridiculous and such a talent to watch on a nightly basis. Um, and then Mike Trout, um, in his last 15 games after the 0-26 for 26 streak, uh, which I know everyone was highlighting and talking about it all over Twitter and ESPN, since snapping that streak, he is hitting 340 with 9 home runs, 17 RBIs, and a 1379 OPS. He has a 105-70 OPS on the season, which is number one in all of Major League Baseball. Um, so you, it's safe to say he is back. Uh, but since snapping uh, that over 26 streak, as I said, in his last 15 games, he's hitting 340 with nine home runs, 17 RBIs, and a 1379 OPS. The Angels only 5 and 10 over that 15-game span. So as you can see, it's not Shohei Otani and Mike Trout's fault. And I think anyone can tell that, uh, especially uh, if you're a baseball fan, you're following and, and seeing their box scores on a nightly basis. They're typically the only guys that are contributing on that offense uh, night in and night out. Lastly, going to transition to my last segment, a very quick se segment, uh, news within the NBA. Um, it was reported um, in the last day or two that the Los Angeles Lakers were the only team pursuing Kyrie Irving in a sign-and-trade, uh, but the Brooklyn Nets weren't interested in, uh, in the Lakers package that they offered. Uh, Russell Westbrook was uh, said to be offered in that deal. Um, the Clippers, Sixers, and Heat, who were said to be interested before, um, are no longer interested in Kyrie Irving. Um, and then I heard reports earlier today uh, saying that Kyrie Irving could opt out of his deal with Brooklyn and then sign a $6 million uh, mid-level contract uh, with L.A. to reunite with, uh, reunite with LeBron. James, um, but I just saw uh, about an hour or so ago now um, that Kyrie Irving is going to be opting in uh, to his $36 million option uh, for this season to stay in net and fulfill his four-year agreement uh, with the teams. I guess Durant um, will be staying too, although there were reports early today from ESPN's Brian Windhorst um, that ESPN um, uh, was told uh, that the Brooklyn Nets are expecting Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant to no longer be Brooklyn Nets um, 
in, in over the next few months. Um, but I guess Kyrie Irving is going to stay, which I'd imagine that means Durant's going to stay now as well. Um, so I guess that's good for Brooklyn, especially considering that Houston owns Brooklyn's 2024-2026 first-round picks. Um, and then there's three pick swaps um, in 2023, 2025, and 2027. So if, if the Brooklyn Nets were to break things up, they would never have the draft capital to get back on track since Houston has you know five of the next five draft picks. Uh, so it's a good thing for them that he ends up staying. Um, and I guess since Kyrie Irving opts in to the final year of his contract, he's not eligible for a sign-in trade. So I guess he is officially in Brooklyn uh, for this next upcoming season, uh, which means Kevin Durant will be staying as well. So uh, I think things will be interesting in the East. I'm excited to see how things play out. And the last thing uh, I want to talk about, Houston Rockets point guard John Wall, uh, who I talked about um, an episode of, or two ago now, um, is expecting uh, to be bought out. Um, by the Houston Rockets over the next day or two. Um, he could be potentially pursued by the L.A. Clippers, L.A. Lakers, and Miami Heat. I'm hoping the Clippers get a chance at him. I'd really like to see him in a Clippers uniform, especially considering they could use another point guard, especially a point guard to his caliber. He's a very good player. Um, so hoping to see him in a Clippers uniform, uh, but obviously the Lakers and Heat, uh, I'm sure one of them as well. I'm sure LeBron uh, will, be getting, will be making a great pitch to him to try to get him uh, in L.A. in a Lakers uniform rather than a Clippers uniform. Anyways, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I really do appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great rest of your night. Thank you guys so much. I should be back on again um, in the next day or so uh, to talk about the NBA draft, like I said, uh, talk about uh, what's going on in the NFL, and then also talk about the Stanley Cup Finals um, in Colorado uh, beating uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. I'll talk about what happened in game six. Um, anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great night. Take it easy. Stay safe and stay well. Thank you.